0: Well, good morning. Uh, This morning I have some sad news for us. Any of you that knew uh, Donovan Fowler, he went home to be with the Lord here a couple nights ago. Uh, He was uh, the individual that during worship you would hear a big, Oh, hallelujah! He would be shouting out praise during the worship times. That was Donovan. So uh, we're going to miss him, and you can keep his uh, family in prayer. Um, you'll hear more about that in the days to come, about the arrangements that are being made. I guess I put my glasses on. It's no wonder things are so blurry up here. <laughs> well, this morning, my, the title of my, uh, my message here, Standing Firm as the Storms of Life Rage. And we're going to be looking at the last chapter, chapter 4 of uh, uh, Philippians here, and the Apostle Paul, there's a little bit of a storm raging there in the Philippian community, the church, and pa- and Pastor Paul. Did I say Pastor Paul? <laughs> the Apostle Paul, anyways, whatever I said. <laughs> Pastor Paul says a lot too. The Apostle Paul, he's just encouraging the Philippians to stand strong in the Lord. We see as, the, as we've looked uh, through the letter, the last couple of sermons I've done is uh, standing in, in a life, making a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what Paul is really encouraging these individuals to do. And so I'm going to read just a few verses here at the beginning of uh, chapter 4, and then we'll get into the message and see where we go. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be um, evident to all, for the Lord is near. And so, Father, as we look into your word here, I pray that you would just open the eyes of our understanding. We thank you, Father God, that uh, in your word you say that your word goes forth and it accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish. And so we thank you for that this morning, that you have a word for each one of us, Lord God, for exactly where we're at. And we just uh, take that in and receive it in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, Paul's love for the Philippian congregation is evident throughout this letter and is especially apparent in these opening verses when he says, Well then, my Christian friends, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. One of his chief concerns was that these people would characterize the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace were the highest concern in Paul's heart and mind for them. Throughout this letter, Paul has made it very clear that the only way that they're going to experience these fruits is if Jesus Christ is the center of their life. Knowing and doing the will of the Father has got to be the first priority in our believer's life. And Paul points this out very strongly all through Philippians. And in these first three chapters, the apostle gave a general plea for unity and steadfastness in, to the congregation, and then he gives this specific plea to these two women. The apostle Paul is reinforcing to them his love and his friendship as equals under God, not as a superior to, uh, church authority to subordinate members. In this letter, he, uh, we see him expressing his fond affection And uh, the pain of separation from the church here. He says, I love you and long to see you, dear friends. Philippi was one of just a couple of churches that had this kind of, uh, that Paul had this kind of a heart towards, it seems, uh, with such intimacy and affection and emotion. You know, they're his joy and his crown because he knows that they have the same heart as he has for ministry as they struggle alongside in their Christian walk, experiencing tensions uh, that's going all around them inside and outside the church. He says, Well then, my Christian friends, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, this, my Christian friends, is how you stand firm in the Lord. Paul's pointing back to everything that he's written in the previous three chapters as a reason to maintain their unified front as a witness of who they are towards one another and towards their community, Philippi. And Paul is pointing forward to the following verses in the chapter to show the Philippians how they are to stand firm in the Lord. Paul has spoken passionately about his willingness to, and determination to press on in his own faith, counting the world loss and Jesus gain. He encourages a perspective on eternity as a way of standing firm and remaining focused in the midst of the pressures and suffering that they were experiencing. This pressing on and understanding their citizenship in heaven doesn't mean that they're avoiding what's happening all around them. You know, a couple uh, weeks ago, Pastor Paul and I were talking and we were, I was sharing with him that as I was praying one morning for my grandkids and my kids, as, as I was praying for them, it became a very apparent to me that, you know, if they do not willingly choose to stand firm in the Lord, you know, and as he calls them, that they could actually be spiritually lost. And as I thought about it and I prayed about this, in my spirit, I was alarmed at the gravity of what I was seeing. And as I thought about it, I could see that it wasn't something that I could take lightly as a grandparent or as a parent. The spiritual well-being of all of my kids has always been really the foremost of my heart. Since the day my boys were born and then as the grandkids come along, it's always been such a big deal to me because it's such a serious thing. And throughout all the apostles' writings, we can see that it's very apparent that Paul's Uh, concern was for the spiritual well-being of the believers. And with my kids, I could see how serious it was that they pay attention when God is reaching out to them and that they respond to him when he's calling. I felt such an urgency for their spiritual well-being. You know, we're cautioned to not allow the things of this world to choke out the things, uh, the cares and concerns of this world, to choke out the things of the Spirit. And it's because... When we do, we could actually become spiritually lost and potentially never find our way back. You know, if we have a desire for spiritual things at all, we can't take that for granted. Because that is God drawing us. Any spiritual desire, that's God speaking and wooing and saying, come to me. And we need to fan that spark into flame. Paul's discerning the seriousness of the discord that's going on here between Iodia and Syntyche, and he's, uh, he's aware of the battle that rages in the heavenlies for every, the soul of every human being. And because Paul understood the potential danger, he's pleading with Iodia and Syntyche to mend their relationship. He says, I plead with Iodia, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. In the fact that Paul says it twice heightens its effect as though he were addressing the women each in turn and to emphasize the idea that his exhortation is made to both parties equally. This exhortation Paul is giving to these two women to live in harmony is to be a way of life that is fit and proper for all who claim to have placed themselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ to agree with each other in the Lord. The emphasis Paul is putting on these two women in verse 2 is very strong. He's pleading with them. One of the translations says that I beg you, Yodia, I beg you, Syntyche, to mend your disagreements, to agree with each other. He emphasizing he is emphasizing not only the idea of possessing a common mind to be thinking alike, but he's also the idea of having identical feelings and attitudes towards each other—a total harmony of life. Now, this is not an easy thing to do, you know. And apart from the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, it's just about impossible. And it's not until we step into the waters that the waters part. We have to make an effort on our part, and God will take care of the rest. He'll give us the ability to see it through. Now imagine how awkward this moment must have been here because this was a public letter that Paul, that Paul had sent them, and they were reading it to the entire congregation, and everybody would have been listening. Paul's not afraid to bring difficult realities into light. These women were significant in the Philippian church, and at some point they worked alongside of Paul where Paul says that they've contended by my side uh, for the cause of the gospel. The word contended there is an athletic terminology that, uh, that used by gladiator matches, fighting side by side. These were not women that just attended church on Sunday and that's all they did. They were a central part of the mission of this church. And so this relationship breakdown didn't just impact them, but it was impacting the whole community a community that was under the pressure already of outside influences. And it had the pe- potential to be torn apart from within. And so Paul brought up what everybody already knew. And now it's important to notice you know, how Paul handles this situation, which is this full of grace. And he doesn't put them down and he doesn't tell them off that they should know better. You know, he doesn't take sides with either one of them but rather he's literally begging them to work out their differences and calls the other members of the church to help them work through this situation. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. The church is to be a glimpse of heaven in the city, and Paul is wanting them to live this way. The church of Livingstone's church is to be a glimpse of heaven in the city of Red Deer and Jesus wants us to live that way. All of the churches in Red Deer are to be a glimpse of heaven. And we need to you know, really stop and think about that and think, wow, what a responsibility we have as people. This, my Christian friends... Is how you must stand firm in the Lord. These are nuggets of wisdom and instruction for the Philippian community and for us here today to press on in this sacrificed life in Christ, living lives that are worthy of the gospel. Hebrews 12:1 says, "Let us stir up, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up." Unity among us as believers is an essential element in a real Christian way of living. We have to be realistic and realize that, hey, you know, we're going to have disagreements in our lives. We can't think that we're never going to be offended, whether it's with co-workers or there's people in the church, brothers and sisters, family members, and guaranteed you're going to have disagreements. But the key here is what we do with that offense, and we can't think that it's okay that we stay offended because for a believer, that is not optional. God knows the damage that it does in our hearts and our spirits and our minds when we're, we have an offense and we're not dealing with it. The only one that wins in a situation like that is the devil. I give him very little credit for anything, but that's one area he can win in. It's if we give him the right because we're holding on to offense. And when we're deeply hurt, you know, now this is a process of being able to learn how to be free from the bondage of sin, because it is a bondage. It's a bondage of the enemy when we have unforgiveness within us. You know, and over the years, I've heard some incredibly painful stories of people's lives and things that have gone on and, uh, and I've often thought, you know, Lord, I don't know how I would handle these kinds of situations. And as they're sharing with me, I'm calling out to the Lord inside. I'm saying, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation. And, you know, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit does. I just sit there, I feel like a lot of times I sit there and watch the Holy Spirit work. And I've seen just some incredible deliverances of people that have been set free from unforgiveness you know, God knows all things. And with God, all things are possible. And so we can rest in that. These women were contending with each other, and Paul is asking the leadership to help them work these things out. And he's telling them, you guys, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about all this stuff, this, all this stuff that's going on. Don't think that it really matters. Instead, he says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. This is where they need to put their attention. No doubt the Philippians were suffering under opposition, probably persecution from their pagan neighbors, just as Paul and Silas suffered when they established this church about 12 years prior Paul was concentrating on these two women at the end of his letter here because he's wanting everyone to understand that the kingdom of God does not function like the kingdoms of the world. And he wanted them to understand this. And Paul takes this opportunity to teach them this everlasting principle of the sacrificed life and forgiveness. And he's helping these people mature as the body of Christ and grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. He was teaching them to be like Jesus when nailed to the cross. Beaten beyond recognition, suffering in excruciating pain, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. God will use all of our struggles for good if we just keep leaning on him. You know, the scripture says that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and they're called according to his purposes. You know, all things will work together for good. Not just some things, but all things will work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. We just need to keep on leaning into the Lord through our situations. Whatever it was that the Philippian church was struggling with, it had the potential to to do harm But God was wanting to use it for good. 2,000 years later, right now, God is showing us how we are to deal with disagreements and offenses in the church and outside of the church. Together, these people would stand, but divided they would fall. Paul's own life was accentuated by thanksgiving. And he could not imagine the Christian life that was not a constant outpouring of gratitude to God. Thus, thanksgiving does not mean to say thank you in advance for the gifts to be received, but rather it's the absolutely basic posture of the believer and the proper context for petition. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things, Paul says. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. You know, we just got to learn how to relax. Relax and let God be God in our lives. These next two verses, 6 and 8, are probably some of the most famous verses in our Christian Bible, like our Christian knowledge as the church. And uh, they're powerful verses. Do not worry about anything, but in every situation make your requests known to God by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. As a result, God's peace, which excels all human planning, will stand guard over your thoughts and your feelings in Christ Jesus. And I just want to say, you know, a secret to these verses here is, okay, God's saying, bring me your stuff. Bring it to me and let's talk about it. And he's saying to bring your prayer and your petitions, you know, speak to the Lord with thanksgiving. The key there is with thanksgiving. Uh, One of the translations says, thanking God for all that he has done. You know, that's where our focus needs to be on thanking God for all he's done. And Lord, in all these situations, Lord God, I just pray that you would look after him. He promises that as a result of this, God's peace, which excels all human planning, will stand guard over your thoughts and your, it says feelings, your heart and your mind. And what I see in that is that You know, as we bring our petitions to God and we're, you know, thanking Him for all He's done, as we're doing this, it says that He sets up a guard for our minds and a guard for our feelings or our hearts, and uh, as these things can't come in, they can't penetrate. And as as experiencing and living in this peace that passes understanding, it's because we're focused on the thankfulness, focused on the good things that God has done for us. You know, there's no way that we can experience the joy that Paul speaks about when we're in hot disagreement or offended with someone. And Paul strongly, he's encouraging everyone to come into agreement in the Philippian church. The richness in this phrase, to agree with each other, embraces not only the possessing a common mind. It's not only just thinking alike. But it's also the idea of having identical feelings and attitudes towards each other. A totally, total harmony of life. Like that's uh, quite a, a miraculous thing. That's what God expects and wants from us. To not just say, okay, let's agree to disagree and leave it go. We never talk to each other again. As brothers and sisters in Christ, he wants us to have a total harmony of life. And just as we wait patiently for the Lord, he'll show us, you know, what's right. Anything less than uh, the unity and the oneness of mind that Paul is encouraging here in the letter to the Philippians is giving the enemy a foothold in our lives. And it is potentially very dangerous in an eternal sense. I have had, I've, you know, I've been saved for 43 years. And so over these years, as a believer, you know, I have been offended. Yeah, <laughs> I've been offended. And it's amazing, but... Uh, how hard and difficult this is to the flesh to be able to try to make these things right. It's not easy. This is when it helps so much to be in a continual attitude of prayer. Paul wants them to see that there are so many enticing false things that the enemy would use to lure them away from the truth if they're not wise to his tactics. He's pretty consistent. He does it the same way all the time. And we fight this by keeping short accounts and standing firm in the Lord as Paul is commanding at the beginning of this chapter. And it's hard to watch those that you love making destructive choices, knowing all the well that it's just the enemy of our soul who is enticing and luring and trying to uh, ultimately tear them to shreds. Paul's warning Iodia and Syntyche and the church against this, and he's asking these leaders to help them settle this dispute. And we have to pay attention. Our joy is really a good gauge of where we're at in our hearts. Paul believes it so strongly, he says it twice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So in this concluding chapter, Paul's encouraging and challenging uh, the Philippians. He's warning them wanting them to first know that he loves them dearly and that he wants them to know and understand that he's aware of their struggles. God knows all about everything we're going through. And he sympathizes with the pressures that have been being brought on them. But he's also challenged them to stand strong, united, living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wants him to understand that it is an incredible privilege to be called and enlightened, to be able to understand the truth of the gospel, and to serve Jesus. That's a privilege. But this is not the only privilege that Paul is wanting to be aware of. He's wanting to be aware that it's a privilege to suffer for Jesus' namesake. All of this directly is directly applicable to the responsibility of Christians. And when Paul writes that the Christians at Philippi are to conduct themselves worthy as citizens, he's not talking about the literal city that the hearers belong to. He's thinking of the church in the context of uh, his admonition points to their mutual duties as members of a local commonwealth. It is here that we experience God's peace. His peace that guards our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus as a priority in our lives. We have a remedy here for dealing with most of the anxieties that life would throw our way. And I've mentioned it before, but these past few years, you know, God has been working this in my very life. He's helped me personally to come to a place uh, where I'm living for the most part in this peace, regardless of the storms that are going on all around karen and myself you know we're experiencing a lot of pressure lately in so many different areas that 20 years ago i know that it would have really rattled me and made my knees shake you know but the holy spirit has over the past few years has gently been teaching me that the worry how i would worry about things how that was sin and that i wasn't trusting him And as he's gently brought me to this point where I've been experiencing this amazing peace through these storms that are happening all around Karen and I, you know, it's it's amazing that we've been sort of somewhat living like I could really feel like, okay, Paul's own life here, it says, was accentuated by thanksgiving. We are so thankful to the lord for all the things that he has done we talk about it all the time of thankfulness i talk with pastor paul and you know we express our thankfulness There's just so much for us to be thankful about and when we're focused there you know that just gives us a peace about all the other stuff that's going on because there's so much eternal stuff to be thankful for and a hope that we have paul's own life was accentuated by thanksgiving and he could not imagine a christian life that was not in a constant outpouring of gratitude to God. Thus, thanksgiving does not mean to say thank you in advance for the things that, gifts to be received, but rather it's an absolutely basic posture of the believer and the proper context of petitioning God, coming to God with thankfulness. Our gratitude is not for what God is going to do for us, but it's a gratitude for who he is. It's a gratitude for the patient grace that he continually shows towards us. You know, I've discovered I can't just will myself to not worry. I can't just say, okay, don't worry about anything. Okay, I'm not going to worry anymore. It's not how it works. You know, but the scriptures tell us that we're to take our thoughts, thoughts captive. We're to bring them into the obedience of Christ. And at the end of these texts that we're looking at here, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about these the, uh, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now these texts that we've been looking at this morning here, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. And these ones here, now these are perfect scriptures to take and meditate on day and night. Write them out and put them into your pocket. And learn them, memorize them, think about them. Just think about each one of these words, what is true and right and pure and lovely. As you're meditating and thinking about this kind of thing and you're learning this becomes a part of your spirit, the anxieties of life take a back seat to what the Lord wants us to be fixated on. So in all of this, we are a people of the commonwealth of heaven. With this privilege, the responsibility of every member is to prefer one another. To be willing to be wronged for the sake of the witness to all the people inside the commonwealth and outside. As members of the commonwealth, there is an expectation to live for the good of the others over the good of ourselves. We are to love our enemies. We're to pray for those who would uh, persecute us. We are to pray for those who would curse us and despitefully use us. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we have to keep in mind, it is possible for us to be spiritually lost. And this is exactly what the enemy is trying to do in the life of every person on the face of the earth. To lure them away and to get people into a state of feeling lost. And feeling confused and hopeless. The gospel message is a message of hope. And that's not just a hope, but it's a living hope, Peter says. I'm going to close this message with this story. In 1986, five year old Suru Munshi and his 14 year old brother were searching the streets for spare change in their home city in Burhunapur, India. names. <laughs> Suru's older brother Guru wandered beyond the station, and Suru fell asleep waiting for his brother's return. A few hours later, Suru woke up 1,500 kilometers away in Calcutta, far away from his home and his family. He survived on the streets for weeks, five years old, was taken into an orphanage, and was adopted by an Australian family and grew up in Hobart, Tasmania. 26 years later, he found his way back to his hometown with the help of Google Earth. In 2011, using vague memories and Google Earth imagery, Suru uh, identified his hometown. Using the ruler feature in Google Earth, he mapped out a search radius and making an educated guess on how far his train would have traveled. And after countless of hours of scouring this area of Google Earth imagery, he came upon a proverbial needle in a haystack. Suru spotted one vague landmark that led him to the next, helping him unlock a five-year-old child's memory. He eventually spotted a neighborhood street and tin roof that looked familiar to him. In Suru's words, it was like being Superman, he says. You're able to go over and take a photo mentally and ask, does this match? And when you say no, it's you keep going and going and going. In 2012, Suru embarked on a trip from Australia back to India. Once he arrived, he shared his story with locals who helped him find his way back home to his mother and surviving brother and sister. 26 years after accidentally leaving home, he finally found his way home. You know, I can't imagine the torment that his older brother went through for all those years. You know, he was 14-year-old, and like there's a movie this of this, and it's a great movie. It's called, I think it's called Lion. And, uh, you know, like him leaving his little brother there. He didn't want his little brother to go, but he let his little brother talk him into it, and, and then leaving him to to rest because his little brother was so tired, and then losing him like that would have been tormenting for this poor guy. And, you know... We all have the potential in our spiritual walk. If we're not careful, we can be spiritually lost. You know, when we get to the place where we don't care anymore, we're, not, we're careless, we're carefree, we're thinking, oh, I don't need to worry about it. You know, we go by uh, the, the way we feel as far as I don't feel like it. But, you know, if, like I was saying earlier, if we have any kind of a spiritual desire in our heart, we need to fan that into flame. We need to press into that because it is potential that if we get careless and we allow the cares and concerns of this world to entice us, there's only one member that's trying to entice us with this stuff, and that is the enemy who's out to tear us to shreds, literally, And I just want to lay that out to you. Like this tension that was going on in the Philippian church, the Apostle Paul could see the potential was to tear this church apart. And that's what the enemy would like to do, stop the work of God that's going on in this community. But Paul was wiser to that, and he was working hard to try to mend this relationship so that that didn't happen. So the enemy never had a hold in their lives any longer. And, you know, we don't want to allow the enemy to have a hold in our lives either. And so, like, all of us have been hurt in life. Some of us have been very hurt in life. And I really want to encourage you that there is a way out of this. When you feel like I can't forgive that person, you know, like my phone line is open, and I would love to talk to you about that because, you know, it can be. You can be set free from that unforgiveness. And uh, so I want to encourage you with that. You know, maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't have this hope. You don't have this. You're lost, you know, because you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, I want to give you that opportunity to do that as well. We have a care card online. We have a care card in the back of these pews. I want to encourage you to fill those care cards out with your prayer requests. Fill them out with your needs. Take a look. There's all kinds of things to check off. We will follow up on those care cards. And uh, I just want to encourage you to pick those up and fill those out in whatever way. If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want to help you with that. And so with that being said, Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the direction of your word. We thank you for the challenge, Lord God. I pray that, Lord, for every desire, obviously there is a desire in this building with everyone, Lord God, for you. Whether it feels strong or, Lord God, or it feels that it is a... Uh, just a sacrifice that's being made. When it's a sacrifice, it's worship to you. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be wise to that and that you would help us, Lord God, to have a desire for you, to fan into flame, Lord God, the spark that's within each one of us. And those, Lord, that maybe don't know you as Savior, Lord, and they're hearing this, I pray that you would help them to know that there is a way home. And it is home because it's with you. And so we just ask you, Jesus, just to be Lord of our lives And draw us to yourself and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you this morning as you go.